To the SDSU podcast presented by the East Village Times with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the SDSU podcast. I am your host, Andre Hagverdian. We'll be joined shortly by my co host, Paul Garrison. This is episode 78, and it features the San Diego State football offensive line. We were able to get offensive line coach Mike Goff for an interview. Uh, it's his second appearance on the podcast. We had an uh, opportunity to interview him last year around this time before fall camp. And it, that interview uh, was tremendous as he went you know, in depth on almost every offensive lineman on the roster last year. You know, the, the offensive line uh, struggled in 2022 and they're looking to bounce back. In 2023, they lost, you know, several players, two starters looking to replace them, plus brought in some new transfers that they're hoping to add to the competition and the mix for the starting spot. So it was a great interview. Coach, you know, is a 12-year NFL veteran, and so he has been around the game of football for a long time, has a lot of knowledge. Uh, if he was uh, on vacation uh, as was most of the football coaching staff, and but he was gracious enough to still hop on and uh, talk to us for you know a little bit less than an hour, forty-five minutes or so. So we definitely appreciate Coach for that. Let's get to the interview, and then Paul and I will be back to give you our takeaways from the interview. Hope you enjoy it. We want to welcome back Mike Goff, SDSU online coach, to the podcast. How are you doing today, man? Oh man, I mean, now that summer is back in San Diego and it's uh May Gray and June Gloom has officially left us. It's nice driving in in the morning where you get that nice little cool cloud cover, but then by ten o'clock it goes goes out to sea and you get a beautiful day. So can't 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 complain about that. How about you guys? Doing doing well, doing well. Got a little time at the beach yesterday, enjoyed exactly what you're talking about. There you go. There you go. We uh, we had the pleasure to speak with Cade Bennett and Christian Jones recently on the podcast. Both of them spoke about how last season's performance was, you know, not to the standard that they expected out of themselves in the unit. You know, as the offensive line coach, when you reflect back on 2022, you know, what was your assessment? Missed opportunities. That's all it comes down to. I think that any time that you are trying to reassemble a, a new group that hasn't really had a chance to uh, be cohesive, you're trying to give them the feel themselves out. And I think last year that was part of what ended up happening was we had a lot of guys that were being thrusted into uh, different positions. For the first time in a long time, we've had multiple people playing because of injury at the right guard spot. I think that getting those guys in there and they each did the best they could. I think when you take the time and reflect, and part of the thing of talking with them and showing the video is that really it just comes down to making sure you do the ABCs of football. And let's just let's just start with the basics, take care of the basics. And really anymore, that's really talking to everybody, the whole room more than ever, because in the new wave of college football, realistically, what college football is now, it's like the major league baseball. You have the junior college, which is class a you have fcs which is division uh class two 
you have the group of five, which is triple A, and then you have the power five sets majors. And anytime somebody can come up and scoop somebody up, and then the next person is going to have to be up. And I think part of the things that I did with spring was I really, I know, I know what Brandon Crenshaw Dixon can do in spring, but I don't know what, what Drew has a party, Christian Jones, Joey Wright, and the rest of those guys can do. So I know that Brandon is prepared from the standpoint of having two years as a starter, uh, not missing, you know, really just missing one game. And, and that was even not a full game, but for me, the, the spring was really about making sure you try to get as many guys as reps as you can, because obviously once the season starts, they're not going to transfer and just quit the team. At the end of the season, you don't know who's staying, who's going. And it is it, the only people that you can really count on are the people that you get to transfer in, because if they decide to second transfer again, the old rule applies where they have to sit out a year. So realistically anymore, you have no idea how it's going to be one way or another, because the, the, these young men aren't signing contracts to to play here. So somehow somebody wants to give them some money and they can take off. I mean, kids haven't changed. We as adults have changed the game around them. And I don't think that we really understood the gravity of what we were doing. And I think that you can't argue, you can't argue a kid for taking off for money. You can, especially depending on what his background is, what his home life is. That might be possibly the most money he'll ever see at one time you, you don't know that but uh i think that you know people want to talk about the players but it's we as adults that came up and said hey this is what we're gonna do so anymore you got to make sure all your young guys are gonna be ready to play because those are the ones that you're really going to be depending on because you don't know if if someone like a Cade bennett Obviously, he already used his transfer, but if he didn't and he goes on and has a great year, which is what I hope for him to do, uh, who knows if someone doesn't come and try and poach him. And we all want to say that, you know, there's there's the, you know, the the rule of, hey, don't go doing that. But, I mean, come on. that, that That's been going on for years, even before NIL was even a thing. Yeah, you mentioned the inexperience on the line last year. You know, there was a, there was a lot of procedural penalties. How much was that the inexperience plus maybe having four quarterback take snaps that weren't had never taken snaps as an aspect before? Well, I, I think we finally. I mean, that was trial and error. And uh, what I mean by that is, obviously, as a line coach, you know it's an issue, and you can only drill it so many times in practice and find different ways to come up with drills that are going to help that. But ultimately the only thing that really curbs that is the game experience of knowing that that's what they're going to do. And I think that as you saw, as the season went on, it did get better, but those first six games, especially in Utah and Boise state, you got to think most of those kids have never been in that kind of environment before and it got the better of them. And that's just, one of the things that we as a staff this offseason really talked about, making sure that we know how to make sure that we can try and set us, ourselves up for success so it doesn't happen to be an issue. But I think that putting a bunch of young men in a, in a different situation that they're not accustomed to, that, that, that had part of it. But I also think now one of the guys that did have that experience is now in Ohio State. And if he thinks it's loud in, in Boise State, Wait, wait till he goes to the big house and he goes to Penn State and those those kind of places. Yeah. Now you mentioned that the the staff 
kind of looked at it and tried to address it? I mean, is there anything specific that you're able to do or did differently or decided to focus on? Well, I, I think I think the big thing, I think it always helps when, when you huddle. I, I think that, that that helps when you huddle and you know, we we don't we didn't go completely away from from the cadence that we had before, but now there's just different ways to really just use a cadence to our advantage. And so really the words that we use, really, as I tell them, it shouldn't matter uh what the defense yells or barks out or moves, because we know what the cadence is. So it's again, just like how we do drills every day, you got to drill yourself that, hey, I know what the snap count is, and it doesn't matter what the defense does because they're allowed to stem, and now they're not allowed to simulate a snap count, but they still do, But and that should be a penalty. But really, it's just all about making sure that they understand that we have the control because we know when the ball is supposed to be snapped. Yeah. And uh, last spring when we had a chance to talk to you, um, you were reluctant to move BCD to left tackle, um, but he ends up playing there the entire year what was the ultimate reason for that decision the ultimate reason was i needed to see, see i need to see christian jones and what he can do and i need to see i know what brandon can do again it kind of comes back to what i hit on before and knowing that i know that these these you know the older guys of kate now kate's even an older guy and he's only started one full year and bcd has two years uh and i i want to put brandon kind of back to where i know that he really thrived, I thought, at right tackle, and we put him at left tackle just because of of circumstances that happened. And I think that uh, really putting him back at right tackle and during practice, we throw him in at left tackle a little bit. And then really in the spring game, I like to put him in just so he got those reps against against the main main ones of the defense just to make sure. But, I mean, our defense is, is such a scheme anyway. It doesn't matter which which – unit you're going against on defense you're going to get a good look and something that is going to prepare you for movement but really the ultimate thinking was let me get cj really prepared let me get joey wright really prepared let me get drew as a party really prepared and we had kyle Stanback, but because of you know he had to get cleared he wasn't able to do it but just the time that i've gotten to work with him now uh his athleticism is something that's really going to help us and i think that Ultimately, if you got four guys that can play both sides and you feel confident in both of them, because you never know what's going to happen. And that and that was ultimately CJ when he first got here was nothing but right tackle. So he needed to get left tackle reps because I, I don't like to just ha- say, hey, you're the left tackle and that's it. Because I think you need to understand both sides, multiple positions. If you're if you're a guard, you should be able to snap the ball. If you're a center, you should be able to play guard. If you're if you're big enough as a guard, you should be able to move out the tackle and, and get reps that way. So it's it's always that constant evolving, especially when you get the opportunity in spring ball to play people at different positions and brush Brandon up at right tackle, having not done it for a whole year. You know, sticking with uh, BCD, um, obviously he's back to right tackle by the end of spring. Even Coach Hoke mentioned during spring that he could play some guard, depending on maybe how the right guard uh, ended up. You know, what are you expecting from BCD this year as like his third year as a starter? Well, I would like to see him make an all, get on the All-Mountain West Conference team is is what I would like for him to do. And I really think that really just in, in the spring and so far in the summer workouts, he is embracing that leadership role. I think both him and Ross Masaioli 
uh, are really kind of taking it over as as really being those leaders as well as Cade's a silent leader. And so you get those those kind of guys because that's what you need. And I think when I when I got this group from from Coach Schmidt, you had you think about it, you had Chris Martinez, you had uh, Des Besant, you had Zach Thomas, you had Bill Dunkel, you had Alma Ulave. There's five guys right there who've had five years of of playing experience. And so now you got to try to build that back up and get the guys to understand that, yes, you got to take care of your job and do your very best. But once you start getting that comfort of playing that position, then now you really got to try to help the other ones because in this day and age, again, with NIL injuries, all that sort of transfer portals, you don't know who the next person is. So the more help you can get, and at a certain point, sometimes it means more to hear it from a BCD or a Ross or a Kate of of how to be better than for me. Sometimes, sometimes that's what is going to help those young players over the hump by hearing it from a peer, not not a not a coach. Yeah, we we talked about Drew Azo party and Christian Jones. They got a lot of reps at first. They got a lot of first team reps in spring, but they haven't played in a game, right? Um, how comfortable, what did you see from them in the spring and how comfortable would you be if they're starting, you know, come August 26th? Well, from what I saw from spring, I, I hope spring's eternal. And I think sometimes, sometimes there's uh game speed and then there's practice speed, but I think that's one of the advantages we have against the defense we, we play. And that is that it's a fast moving defense. And I think that, when you are able to get young guys to understand, and one of the things that we've been really just talking about is is how to simplify it even more. I think sometimes in my own self evaluation of me as a coach, realized that I was I was very much as a player a technician, and I was one that that's how I had to play the game. And sometimes I can't force them to play like me. And so for me, it kind of it was changing how I went about approaching that and try to make it more result-based play. Let's get the result, and then we'll clean up the technique. And so I think that with the young guys like like Drew as a party and, and Christian Jones, you know, Tommy Marabell who played a little bit, just really trying to take some of the stress off of them instead of necessarily so, so much thinking about technique, but let's get the result and then we'll clean up. So really a lot of this, a lot of this summer during our times to work out with them has been, hey, how can I simplify it for them to get them to play fast and not have so much worries about not necessarily what they're now obviously don't want bad technique where they get a holding call or something of that matter. But I think that you want to get it to where they're able to really just play fast and know, hey, I got the result. We got a positive play because that's a, too many uh, inefficient runs, and that's really part of the big thing about it this year with everybody is well, let, let's get ourselves let's set ourselves up for success so we can thrive and not just survive. Last year when we talked to you, you uh, said that Christian was the kind of kid that you'd want your daughter to date, and when we talked to him, um, you know, we we saw that in our conversation with him. But can he be mean enough? on the field to take care, take advantage of his size, power, you know, and obvious skills that he has? Well, when you ask him the basic question of whether or not he wants to play at the next level and he says, yes, you have to continue to reinforce that. 
just because, and I tried, I tried pointing out this way. We, we say that we say that football is a violent sport and you have to be violent to do it, but really it's, it's a game of force, especially at the offensive line. It is forced under the word violence. And so instead of using the phrase, Hey, Christian, I need you to be more violent. It's Christian. I need you to use more force with your size. And so it's just a different approach of trying to get them to understand that maybe he doesn't like the word violent. I don't know, but maybe get them to understand that it's it's the force that you have because you're six nine, three hundred and twenty pounds, and you got arms that a wingspan that is I don't even know how big it is. I just know it's big, and it is one of those things that get them to understand his body and understand that if he truly does have the aspiration of playing at the next level, there is a degree of of having that forcefulness that you need and you need to do it at, at the highest level. So it's just a different way of trying to get him to understand how we, how we want to go about doing it. And that if he truly wants to play, then that's what, what it's going to have to be. And going into year three, it'll be a big year for him. And I think one of the biggest things about Christian Jones is I moved the men at guard at one point because I said, your, your footwork isn't quite where it needs to be. And you need to start jumping rope and doing those sort of things. And I think the next day he went and got a jump rope and just started jumping rope. But that's the kind of kind of young man that he is. And I think that you're going to eventually, and I think it was, I was watching a documentary about the bad boys. I don't know if you guys saw that on 30 for 30. It's, it's tremendous. And as a Bulls fan, it was painful to watch just because <laughs> – Bulls fan. Uh, but I think that one of the things that Bill Lambeer said that, that him and Isaiah Thomas had in common was a fear of failure. And it wasn't a, a, a debilitating fear of failure. It was a driving force for them. And I think that anybody that is a true competitor has that in their DNA. Sometimes just like a volcano it might just be dormant. And all of a sudden you get put out there in live action, you realize, hey, there's my, my family's watching back, back up in San Luis Obispo, or my family's watching up in LA. Maybe they're in the crowd, however it is. You now have that that sense of obligation because that's how I did it. My obligation was my family's watching us. I want to make them proud. And I think that just trying to get them to understand the different uh, concepts of that, and instead of just saying, hey, be mean. Okay, well, what does mean? What does mean mean? Well, here's what here's what mean means to me is using your big body to generate force to move your guy from point A to point B. I'm I'm a Bulls fan too, but it just made the 91 sweep in the Eastern Conference Finals even sweeter. That's how I look at it. No, no, no question. No question. And especially uh, especially when you when when you look at just how they went about doing it. And they went and got different guys in there and and I think one of the key things is is that uh, I, I forget which player they brought in from the Mavericks, but Bill Ambeer sent him down and said, hey, here's our culture. Here's how we do things here. This isn't a one-man show. And I think that once people understand that the offensive line is a unit within a unit and you got to be able to work as one, even if all five guys go the wrong way, you can you might be able to make it work. But if four guys are going one way and one guy goes the other, then it can, then it can have uh, – not catastrophic, that's a bit extreme, but the results won't be positive. Um, last year, you know, you spoke very glowingly of of, of Ross Masuli. Um, so how has his game developed and 
you know, with some of the injuries and things like that, did that set him back? And is he, is he back on that pace where I think you described him as being like a 10 year professional veteran is what you see his future. being? Well, I, I think, you know, Ross had some things, you know, some family tragedy that happened. And I, I think the big thing for him is I think that kind of, I don't want to say he grew up from that standpoint, but you see a different Ross than maybe you did before. He's still the same fun loving young man that he's a pleasure to be around, but there's that little bit of sense of, uh, I don't want to say urgency, but just a little more seriousness uh, to him. And I think that has, that has helped him leaps and bounds because I think he now is taking that different approach of, Hey, you know, you, you, you live every day, but you only die once. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to make the most of it. And I think that uh, the maturity I've seen, in him since since the the tragedy that happened within his family uh, has really helped him kind of brace that and realize that hey this is this is my way to do something to achieve his goal of playing in the NFL and so you just see that little bit more of seriousness and I think I think that happens a lot you get young guys who think they have all the time in the world but the one thing that is undefeated or one of two things that's undefeated is is time I think that understanding that the time is now has to be that kind of theme for us is that we're at, we're in a great organization where you go seven and six and reach your 13th consecutive bowl game. And that's, that's, you would think we, that the record was opposite. And I think that that's what you, it's like being that, you know, kind of a weird version of Alabama where, you know, they went nine and two and everyone was, or 10 and two and everyone was, was mad. You would have thought that the, the world yeah. was coming to an end. And I think that's the kind of program you want to be associated with. I think the days of just of just going and, and making a bowl game, all right, that's that's not acceptable anymore. I think you set the bar, and if you don't raise up to that bar, all right, it's it's considered a it's considered a um, not a failure, but it's not as good as it should be. And I think that, that that's the beauty about being at a place like San Diego State. Alama Uluave obviously has graduated. He was an all-conference first-team center, 50-year guy. You know, we saw Tommy Mirabella get first crack at that position, but we also saw Dina Abdullah, Ross even got some snaps, Tiger U. How is the center position uh, shaping up right now? Well, I, I, I think all four of those guys have really taken ownership of, of what the void you have to fill. And I think that the beauty of it is is that Alma, for as as great of a player he he was, uh, there were some things that some habits that I wasn't quite able to break him out of, and so now you're kind of starting over with a with a blank canvas that gets to paint itself. And I think that you know trial and error, we're gonna we're, one of those guys is gonna be the starter, the other one will move into guard, and and we got ourselves set up because again, anytime you can have multiple people who can play center at a high level. That's ultimately what you want because I think that the left tackle position is often overlooked the true value of the center position. And I think that when it comes down to it now, you you able to find that center like we're going to, you know, we are going to find out because we were spoiled by having a three-year starter in Alma. And now it's now it's time for someone else to take the reins. And even in even in spring and even in the summer workouts, you could see that. They were they were disappointed if they didn't execute the blocks the way they wanted to, and so to get them to continue to kind of go down that path of understanding that 
we got big shoes to fill there. They've been able to, to shoulder that, and we're going to get the best one that's out there. Uh, Cade Bennett told us, you know, he was an all-conference second-team guy last year, and he told us, you know, the thing he appreciates about you is how hard you are on him, how high expectations you have of him, and you're not afraid to tell him, you know, you didn't do this right or you need to do this better. You know, where do you think the next level is for his game? Well, I think the next level for him is is we got to get your first team all conference. And mm-hmm. same thing, I, I challenged Alamo uh, after the after the twenty one season. He he made honorable mention. I said, "Is is that was that your your goal?" He goes, "No, it it was to be first team." I said, "All right, well let's well let, let's do that then." And so what that is for Cade Bennett is same conversation. Where do you envision yourself? And if you truly want to play at the next level. I'm going to do everything within my power because my time is done. But I know that, you know, the NFL has blessed me and and my family beyond. I can't thank the good Lord enough for it. Uh, Any person who comes to play for Coach Hoke and for me in in my room, if that is your ultimate goal, you have to buy in. And since Cade's been here, he has done nothing but buy in. Now, he's not the most vocal leader, but he is a guy that that you just have seen how he his body has changed and how as he's maturing he's doing things better at a higher level and you, that's what you want out of Cade Bennett is he just needs to realize from watching the film from last year the things that he struggled with all right well how do we fix that well here's how we're going to fix it and here's how we're going to try to think about how we can make ourselves be in that better position that's even going to make us even better. And so I have very high expectations for for Cade Bennett because he's a returning starter. I think that his work ethic is there. Also, he's just an awesome individual and a pleasure to have in the room. I'm glad he's here. You mentioned um, Joey Wright, Kyle Stanback. You know, Joey came in with, you know, high recruiting from, from a lot of schools and things like that. And I think a lot of people really placed him as as somebody who would be starting by this point. Kyle Steinbeck, you mentioned his athleticism, um, his weight. People have had questions about. You know, just where are those two at in their development and and really pushing for that opportunity to start the season? Well, we'll start we'll start with Joey Wright. I think that Joey Wright, I've seen him move better this spring and especially this summer than I have since I've been around him. And I think for him. Just kind of how we talked about Christian Jones and how you got to find that switch that you got to flip. I think the same thing could be said for Joey Wright. At a certain point, you got to realize that you've been here going on four years, I believe, and you, your time is now, and you got to flip that switch. Now, there's a difference. You can say in your brain you flip the switch, but now the results, it's got to be a result driven. And I think that kind of taking the pressure off of making – letting them know that, hey, man, we, we, we're we going to be a result-driven group. It's what we got to be. All right, get the result done, and we'll clean up the techniques, we'll clean up the fundamentals, and we'll get that going. But ultimately what it comes down to is making sure that the results are there. I think Kyle Stanback, I think with uh, him taking, you know, him not getting cleared right away in spring, I think that hurt him. But I think just since he's been cleared and has been working out with the team and being able to have full clearance to be in the weight room with him with the guys and doing all that sort of stuff. I think he's already put on 15, 16 pounds and is getting there. And I think, again, his athleticism is a thing that that's hard to teach. 
Mm -hmm. All right. That's one of the things that's that, that coaching, it's hard to coach people that are not athletic. You have to find a different way. And so now for him, it's just getting him caught up the speed of really understanding what we're looking for on different plays and, and just had him in the room the other day. Uh, he wanted to go over some plays and just got a chance to talk to him and really just break things down for him. And so for him, he just needs to stay the course and, and continue to gain weight and continue to work out hard. And you already see him filling out just in, the, in a few short months that he's been able to be cleared and be with the team. You know, is there anybody else depth wise, you know, that we haven't mentioned in this conversation that we, we should be paying attention to and maybe should have done our homework a little bit better on? Well, I, I think Dean Abdul is a Swiss army knife. I think he is, he is that unique, uh, that unique player got him from, from American river up there in Sacramento and coach O who is the head coach is also the offensive line coach. So I know that when we got him, he was a guy that was going to be tough and he was a guy that was going to, going to know the, the ins and outs of what he needed to do. But he was another guy that again, you think about it, we got him. Him, I think a week before camp, fall camp was even going to start. And I think that for him, it was trying to drink through a fire hose with all the information that that you were giving him. And I think that now after he's gone through a spring and he's been working out, his weight has been getting up because um, I don't know how, how familiar you are with the junior college, but you know that's that that's tough living down there. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's hard. It's it's a different way, and you get in the some places where they have money that they can feed you and do all that sort of stuff. But sometimes you're left to your own devices down there. And he's just done nothing but everything you ask of him. He asks questions. He works hard. And I think that he is a guy that you feel comfortable with really being able to put him at any place. Obviously, he'd be a very undersized tackle with that being said. But the one thing I do know is that he is a tough young man and he will do everything he can for you and for everything he can for this this program. Uh, you hit on it a little bit earlier uh, with the transfer portal and obviously, um, you know, Josh Simmons going to Ohio State. Um, but coach said that one of the changes is that you almost have to recruit your own room every year. Um, has has the transfer portal changed the way you approach, you know, being a position coach? I can't let it change how I'm going to be a position coach because because at the end of the day, it's my job. And my job is to get these guys as ready as I can. And at an event the other day, uh, I made I made mention and I mentioned it earlier about how really right now with NIL, everybody below a power five is kind of a farm system for the people who have the money. And I think that the thing that you hope you do as a position coach is that they realize the benefit because you tell them that the best NIL is NFL. And I think that if you get them to buy into how you're coaching them and they know that you actually care about them and you know that, that you're going to do everything you can for them. I think that's, that's the best way you can recruit them is by not necessarily changing how you coach them. You can't, you can't be scared to, you can't be scared to be hard on them because if you are, then you might not get the results. And guess what? Now you're out of a job. And so I think that it's made it difficult for coaches because more than more than before, you have to make sure you're coaching everybody because you don't know who's going to be in your room after after a portal opens and you don't know 
who you're going to have to go recruit, but to recruit your own players, I think you, you got to still, it's coaching to me is just like parenting. You, you, you want them to like you, but you got to understand that there's tough love that is involved in coaching and you want them to like them. You want them to like you, but at the end of the day, you're not their friend, you're their coach. And if you prove to them how much, how hard you're going to coach them and how you're trying to, get them to be the best version of themselves. I think ultimately your recruiting tools, you're showing them that you got nothing but their best interest at heart and you're trying to make them to be the best version of themselves. And so you, you can't really change who you are because you can change, you can change who you are. That's not going to change the fact that someone can come with a buttload of money and persuade them to go. And I think that if, again, I think that, Kids haven't changed. We as adults changed the game around them and made it more easier for them to, to get money. And I think, you know, you told me if I was a 19-year-old kid and someone said they were going to give me X amount of dollars, I don't know what I would do. I, I, I To be honest, I, I, I don't know because I loved where I went to school. I loved my position coach and I loved the guys I played with. And you ultimately hope that, as you go through every year, that that's what they they're focused on, and that they're focused on truly making a bunch of money. Well, the NFL is the way to do that, and you have the if you have the potential to do it for a long time, uh, you get a chance to set your family up for 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 life. The offensive line has three incoming freshmen coming in, if not already, probably next week. You know, Jonah Rodriguez, Briley Barron, Ryan Silver. We had a chance to talk to Ryan and Briley on the podcast earlier this year. You know, Ryan obviously was teammates with Drew and Tiger at Sarah, so he's got that familiarity. Uh, Briley, I think we dubbed the most interesting man in the world based on all the things that he does um, outside of football. You know, it's obviously difficult for true freshmen to come in and play, but what do you expect from those guys in year one? I think I think that... Really, this is the biggest class that I've that I've brought in, and I think that what I'm excited about is I'm getting the kind of players that that I think like playing the game how I like to coach it, and and I think that instead of just necessarily um, taking guys based off of size or stars or stuff like that, you take you take from what you see on tape and from what you get from talking to them, and so. Is it hard to play as a true freshman? It is. I, I I did it, and it was hard, but it was fun. And I think that one of those one of those things of those three guys coming in, just based off of how they played in high school, there is a possibility they could play. I think that in an ideal world, you'd rather have them get that year of of being able to mature a little bit and get through college because this is their first time being away from home, first time technically being being an adult where you got to do other things, i.e. laundry, make a bed, all that sort of stuff. And so you ultimately like them to just kind of have that one year to just kind of get adapted to what college is. But every now and again, you do find that, that diamond that can, that shines. And if one of those guys proves that they're capable of being a, a guy in the rotation or a guy that, that travels for games, I can't hesitate to do that because ultimately this is a team sport and you don't know what you're going to get until you actually see them with pads on. 
it's one thing to go around and just t-shirts and, and shorts but uh, i think ryan silver was able to be here in the first group so he's been here since june and so he's gonna have that little bit of a leg up from from jonah and and briley from that standpoint of he understands what coach hall does in the weight room what coach hall expects out there at the team runs and i think that for him uh he's got that little bit of an edge now with that being said I saw Jonah the other day, and he looks like a traditional San Diego State offensive lineman. And I think that that is what we we recruit, and he fits the part. And now again, it's just coming down and and get in front of people that uh, that are going to be bigger, stronger, faster. And whenever the question is uh, proposed to me, I always say that going from high school to college was a hell of a lot harder than going from the NFL. Or I'm sorry, going from college to the NFL because you are literally going from a a pond where you could just do whatever you wanted because the you might be going against a kid that's 16, 15. Well, now you're going against guys that are anywhere from 18 to 23, and now you have to adapt to that, and you got to understand that there's a, those hard knocks that are going to happen, and how you respond to those hard knocks is is how you is how you define yourself. I remember the first, my very first one-on-one rep. This is back in the day where uh, the incoming freshman actually had a week of two-a-days before the returning varsity even showed up. And return varsity, very first uh, one-on-one, Bill Inch, who's now the defensive coordinator at Washington, who was at Fresno, uh, as you guys probably are aware of. My first one-on-one, he ran by me. All, all I saw was a vapor trail. And I thought, holy crap, what the hell was that? And I realized that, I had to adjust my game. So what it ultimately comes down to when you bring in those kind of young men, it comes down to how fast can they adapt to the speed and the maturity of someone that's faster. And the faster that they get the grasp of what they need to do and how they need to tailor their game to a different style because they all have their different styles, then you really see what what you're going to get out of them. Where does the overall makeup of the line currently stand? I mean, you've lost a lot of depth over the last year for various reasons, including transfer portal. I know Kyle Trombley, I believe, had a medical retirement. You know, are you still looking to bring in anyone in the transfer portal or is it room set for the fall? Well, pretty much pretty much the room is set right now. And I think that when you bring in, when you got some transfers that that you're bringing in and you just see how the younger guys have really changed just from, I mean, we got done with spring and end of March, I think. I believe that's right. Right before we went on spring break. And you just look at how their bodies have changed from from March to to now. I think you you do have that. You, you have to have that that sense of, okay, this is what we're going in with. And you got to understand that because this isn't the NFL where you can just bring someone in midweek for a tryout. And if it's better than what you got, all right, good, cool. We're going to cut that guy. We're going to sign this guy. And so I think that the overall makeup is what it is. Uh, We got a lot of guys that I think are starting to understand because most of them I've been around with for three years. And I think as I'm starting to understand, uh, as I'm starting to understand them individually, that was a tongue twister. Uh, that you you realize that you have to tailor yourself as a coach. I GA'd for a coach at USC who, if you were a if you were a square peg, you were fitting in that round hole. 
And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think that's how I want to be a coach. So the more I'm around these guys, the more I understand the guys who can take tough coaching. Some of the guys, you got to know when it's time to be a tough, tough nose coach and when the time is to, to just talk to them. And I think that as you look at the room, you have guys that if, if they truly get to understand what it is to be a, uh, an offensive line unit, which is what we are continuing to evolve with. I think that the future for this room has the potential to be very bright because that's that's the one thing about when you when you graduate a bunch of of fifth year seniors and, and COVID seniors that you did that one year with the Chris Martinez, the Des, the Dom Godinos, the Zach Thomases, the Bill Dunkles. You think about it. You had a bunch of guys that were depth to that. Well, now, now that's gone, and now you got the guys who were so good that they, the other young players didn't really get the reps in games. So now you're really just, yeah, it's gonna be there. You're gonna get your lumps, and you're gonna go through some growing pains, and you just gotta stay the course and understand that it all starts back with the ABCs of what playing offensive line is, and that's why we're really focusing on just making sure we get an understanding of the ABCs and we'll figure everything else out as it comes, comes up. I'll be remiss coach. Last question. Andre just mentioned them. Kyle Trombley. He, he let us know that, that, you know, he had a medical issue. Um, the, the recovery didn't go exactly the way he did hoped. Um, but you know, it, it just was a reminder that these kids, you know, they really work hard and they sacrifice so much to be able to try to play this game. Could you just speak to Kyle's place on the team and, and, and what, you know, just your experience with him has been? Well, I thought Kyle Trombley was, uh, an exceptional young man. I thought that he was that guy going after the spring game of 22, going into the, into the 22 season, he was that young man who, much like Dean Abdullah was that Swiss Army knife that could really do it all for you. And some spots were better than others, but he was that guy that you truly could feel like you could put him in a spot and he would be able to get you out of a game if if need be. And I think when you lose somebody like that uh, to try to replace that it is difficult because I think Kyle wanted to play and I think Kyle had aspirations of of being that player, but unfortunately as you guys have been covering sports for a long time. Injuries happen. Some injuries are worse than others. And some injuries are very difficult to come back from. And I think he did everything he could to to get to that place where he'd be able to play. And unfortunately, just it just wasn't able to happen. And so as a as a coach and as a dad, you, you feel for the kid. Yeah. And you re- realize that. Some dreams end earlier than others, and I think you you try to use that also as a positive to let everybody know that at a certain point you're no longer going to be playing football, and at a certain point you, your your time is going to be done, and so you got to really just try to convince them. Again, I remember what it was like to be hell. I remember after my after my tenth NFL season, I thought I was going to play for ten more. And I I made two more and two more years and then an injury and it just kind of was next year I know I was 34 years old now I don't think it, you know I hope that they all get that opportunity but it's just an example that some people are done after high school some people are done after college and and I think for Kyle you know Kyle's a very smart bright young man and so I know that for him he's going to excel in whatever he does but when you lose some 
somebody that is that caliber where they were able to do so much for you and you had that trust in them that 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 hurts and just to see that uh you're no longer playing because of an injury that just was was so bad that it just wasn't able to recover it kind of t- it kind of tugs on you a little bit absolutely coach really appreciate your time um those listening coaches uh technically on a vacation but he uh he took some time to be able to come and speak with us so we really really appreciate it coach well guys uh, always a pleasure always a pleasure you know it's a it's a special special place here at san diego state so anytime you guys need me just let me know absolutely thank you thanks coach all right guys all right paul that was our interview with mike goff you know the second time we've had him on the podcast last year we had him before the Paul Camp around the same time, I believe, uh, to talk about his offensive line unit. You know, last year was a, a poor year, I think, by all standards for the offensive line as they look to bounce back. What were your main takeaways about what Coach said about, you know, the different ways he's looking to make sure the offensive line is better in 2023? Well, the first takeaway for me is the opportunity to give you kudos. I think it shows why the this podcast is really important in years past in all the coverage of san diego state athletics you know you would get maybe 10 minutes on the radio with coach goff um you would get an article written by the you know union tribune and and all those would be fantastic and they would be good but you'd always be i think left wanting more and to get 45 minutes with him to be able to go through basically everyone in the offensive line room, get detailed thoughts about what he's doing, I think just provides a level of coverage that didn't exist before. And in the articles that we would write, no matter how long we would put in there and we would, you know, try to go detail by detail with everything with the offensive line and our previews that, you know, I, I, I would suggest are unprecedented when it comes to coverage of SDSU. There was still so much that you miss um, even after, you know, we include so many quotes, et cetera. And so I think that for me, the the first thing that I just wanted to mention is is I thought it was great. I thought he did an amazing job, um, as he always does, but just being able to to hear his own thoughts and his own voice um at length, uh, I think I think is really good. I definitely agree there. And I think that's the reason why we I we wanted to do this is because we this is something we didn't we wanted to hear for the last you know however many years we've been following San Diego State so um as we're going through these interviews these are things that we wanted to we're interested in and we wanted to know the answers to so that's part of it I I think there's a lot of takeaways from from that interview with him you know I think the one that jumps out to me is his thoughts on NIL um you know he he kept saying you know, kids haven't changed. We adults have changed the game around them. Talking about making NIL, you know, uh, more legal, I guess, in a way, something that's been happening. And, you know, you can't argue with a kid for taking money. You know, he didn't mention him by name, but obviously, you know, Josh Simmons was the guy he was talking about in that regard. Uh, you know, not basically, you know, saying, you know, you, depending on your home life and your financial situation and your family situation, some some kids need it earlier than others. The 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 quote that you know we took off, we put out a video clip. You know the best NIL is NFL because you know short term money could be great, but if you really want to set yourself up for for, for your and your family for life, being a ten year veteran in the NFL is the way to do that. 
and to maximize your opportunity in college, get the best coaching, get the best playing time, get the best opportunities so that you can become a 10 year veteran might be more important to some people um, than, you know, taking taking some money for one or two years in college and maybe not playing or maybe not developing like you would. So I thought his his commentary on that was was pretty intriguing, uh, but nothing that he said that I totally disagreed with. Jumping more on the topic, I think one of the one of the stories that we have been following with NIL is taking it from a genesis, waiting and looking to see and reporting on how it develops over time. And I thought that uh, he gave a very good insight into how San Diego State is adjusting to NIL, um, is adjusting to the reality. And uh, it's, it's, an, it's an adjustment that uh, is more along my philosophy of living anyway. Uh, so I liked it. But um, here's what he said. He said that he was a technician when he was playing. And he's moving, and, it, and I would I would suggest I think I've heard very similar things with with throughout um, from different coaches is that they're they're moving to just making sure that they're results oriented, and it's not so much about getting the right technique. It's not about those sorts of things necessarily. It's a first about making sure that you get the job done, and I think that that's really important because we live in a day and age where you get a five year old who shows a little bit of aptitude in anything. And you want to take her and you um, you get her to do the techniques, right? You if 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 she's she's great at 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 sports, you know, let's say she's great at baseball, you, you know, you're gonna go and you're gonna get have her, you know, repeat the same stroke over and over and 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 you just there's this technique that they do and you and you don't necessarily take a kid and inform them why they need to do it. It's just here is what you're supposed to do. You get a kid, once they basketball, okay, a thousand shots, here we go. You know, and 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 it it takes a while, I think, for, to transition when you take that approach to actually giving them the why. Why are you doing these techniques? What's the point of it? And how many skilled players have we seen who you know advance to far levels, even all off of technique? But when it comes to putting it together at the highest level or whatever level they end up topping out at, they can't quite translate all of those skills to the actual game. Because they don't have the why. They don't know that they're doing these techniques because somebody developed them who was really good at it and kind of broke down what they did and then found a way to replicate it. And now they replicate those skills, those techniques. But it was originally taken out of somebody being really good at the actual process, actually, actually being good at the end result. And if these players are, as, as, as Coach Goff talked about repeatedly, if their goal is the NFL, at a certain point, they got to understand the why. They got to understand that there are techniques and there are multiple techniques that they can learn, but that they have a purpose, that they have an end result. And the end result is usually with the offensive line moving from point A to point B. I think that's a really good thing to start doing, especially as at this level, you know, it might be okay for high school players to, to not really be fully conscious and aware of why they're doing what they're doing. And you just get them in the right hand placement. You get them to move this foot the right way. You get them to, to, you know, burst quickly off of the line and maybe they're not fully conscious of why, but at the collegiate level, I think it's really important that 
that they start being able to get both of them, I guess, and and you have that why, you have that end result, then for, for, for state's purposes, the reason that they want to do that is because it simplifies it for them. And I think that that's, that's another really important idea. With NIL, going back to what they're using it for NIL, is just the reality that somebody can be gone at any moment. That, that you know, um, he, he talked about, you know, you're not supposed to tamper, but come on, this is, the, this is the world that we live in. It happened before, it's happening now. We've heard that again from multiple people as well. I mean, you know, what is, what is not that he would do it, but let's say Christian Jones is, is phenomenal. Right. And and he he goes and he flips that switch and and he learns how to use that force that he talked about. And he goes and they they play UCLA and he dominates every player who lines up on the other side. And some booster gets into his DMs and says, I'll give you a million dollars right now. And you'll be you'll you you you'll be ready for next year at this time. And it won't be here, it won't be here. You can't wait till the end of the year, it's right now. And he goes and he leaves the team and he can't enter the transfer portal window, right? Just waits, enters the transfer portal window. He's there, gets the million dollars. Hey, you know, and now that's illegal. You're not supposed to do that. But who's, who's, who's governing this, right? Who's governing that, that that's couldn't happen. And so coach Goff says, look, at any time somebody can leave. And so every single person needs to be able to produce. And this is the reality is, is it before you were saying, okay, freshman, redshirt freshman year, redshirt sophomore year i'm going to teach you the technique and then you'll be able to understand the why that third year in well now if you need everybody to produce you got to give them that why at the very beginning you're moving a person from point a to point b that's it use the force get it done and and then along the way now that you understand the why we'll show you the techniques to be able to do the why better and i thought that flip was pretty interesting you know, I think talking to Coach Goff and asking him about the center position, it was at least apparent to me that there's no definite starter yet. And I think that's going to be the first step, like have figuring out who the starter is and who's not the starter is probably might be the starting right guard. If you're talking about uh, Marabella and, and uh, Ulugaga Maseoli. So I think that that needs to be solidified before we can really move forward and say, okay, this is the offensive line and how are they going to do, how are they going to work as a unit? That definitely needs to be, you know, step one of fall camp is figuring that out because without, you know, you mentioned, you know, you're missing a three-year starter. It's like painting a blank canvas. But he also said something interesting that we didn't necessarily follow up on about how Alma had some habits that he couldn't break, you know, habits that was formed before Coach Goff got there. And uh, I was curious as to what those were and what he meant by that. But, you know, that would have probably been a much longer interview. But I thought that was interesting that he said that. And now you could say, okay, well, he's got his center in place that he's teaching. He's telling, showing how he wants the center to be played. And maybe, maybe there's a slight difference there that might impact the entire unit positively. That wasn't there before. That that's that's a big assumption on my part, but I think based on his comment about that, that that's what got me thinking. I'm going to use this a little bit to to transition because it's I think it's very related. Tell me about the transfers that are coming in because there's been a social media mention, but nothing from the program. Uh, there's there's been rumors. There's been this, but but you know I think you're able to report on it. 
Now tell me about the two transfers who are in, in campus, right? So Jordan Sandlin uh, announced on June 8th uh, mm-hmm. that he was transferring from Florida Atlantic. He's got a twin brother, Jaden, that's also at Florida Atlantic that doesn't look like he transferred at all. So usually they, the twins are kind of <laughs> uh, a, a double deal, right? Most package of them, deal. Package, deal, package yeah. deal. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Uh, but it yeah no, like- that's going to be the that's going to be the interesting part. You know, if uh, if Jordan gets beat off the edge in San Diego, right? Yeah. Does Jaden does Jaden fill it across the coast at Florida Florida Atlantic? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Sandlin, he spent two years. He was a redshirt and then a redshirt freshman. Had hasn't played. Uh, he was a three-star recruit in the class of 2021. So he's he'll be heading into his sophomore, his third year, but as a sophomore. So he'll have three years of uh, eligibility left. Uh, he doesn't have a COVID year because he came in after COVID. And then the the really intriguing one is Miles Murau, uh, but he's a big dude. He was uh, he played at Modern Day in Santa Ana, part of those championship teams. Uh, was a, was like a top three center in the class of twenty twenty. I was also a, like a top three guard on on some of the recruiting sites. So there was that position versatility to play center or guard. Mm-hmm. You know his accolades are pretty high in that class of twenty twenty. He just had injuries. He's had multi. He had a knee injury. I think his last year in high school. And then another knee injury, I think his freshman year at Washington, just never was able to 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 get off the ground running. And then last year he played behind a lot of guys at Washington that were experienced. Uh, and then, you know, this spring camp, he was hoping to kind of knock on that door and get a starting spot. And instead he was like third on the depth chart, which is probably what precipitated his move to transfer. It was interesting. I think he was linked to San Diego State by some of the people I was talking to, but he never he's not a big social media guy. So he didn't make an announcement on social media. He didn't uh, post a commitment, you know, graphic or anything like that. But what I had been hearing was that he he was he was a done deal and he would be on campus. But you never know until they actually, you know, some second session started July 5th and and he was here. So, you know, he I think is going to be intriguing. You obviously want transfers to come in the spring so they can be part of spring camp and they can get that experience and get to know the offense and get to know the teammates and get the coach coaching staff these guys are coming in in you know july so you know they might be a little bit behind the curve when it comes to okay can they play right away but talent is going to trump experience and if these guys come into fall camp and they're you know beating out guys in front of them guys around them then i think Coach Goff is is going to have to take notice, and these guys could get their chances depending on how they perform in practice. Last year, Dean Abdullah came a week before fall camp and played. He was able to to, to work his way in there, and you know I think with the emphasis of moving people from point A to point B, and this is the reason why you do it as opposed to doing it exactly the way that you're coached to do it. I think that bodes well for it. But I mean, do you think that? Well, I mean, without having a ton of game experience, you know, how, how likely do you think it is that, you know, like um, Jordan Saladin is going to be able to, to come come in and, and compete with, you know, Joey Wright, Drew Party, Christian Jones? I, I think he can compete because those, some of those guys you mentioned have even less experience or less years than Jordan Sandlin does. So. Um, now they have experience on the team in practice and, and the offense. But as I said, I think 
ultimately you can pick that up if you're smart enough as an offensive lineman and you you can pick up an offense quickly and you can know the plays i think you can come in and compete um okay moving over to moving over to 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 Morao, um uh, same question do you think that he would be able to you know obviously with a huge resume and things like that you you would assume if he's healthy that that he's very talented um all of those kinds of things but do you think that he would be able to to be the center or do you think that um you know ross would move over and he would be the center since he's been here and then there's more chance at guard or can somebody in that short period of time you know gain that chemistry um with jalen maiden etc i think he's got a better shot at playing right away at guard just because that center position probably has a little bit more of a learning curve with with the quarterback and with the play calling and things like that mm-hmm. because the center does all the, the checks at the line, things like that, extra responsibilities that the guards and the tackles don't necessarily have. So I think he has a better chance of stepping in and playing guard if it was this year. What what What's the depth chart in week zero can flip by week one, by week two, by week five, and then you factor in some nagging injuries here and there and pieces have to be moved around. I don't, I wouldn't see an issue. I wouldn't be surprised to see him playing center at some point this year, starting at center or filling in at center during game. But, you know, if you're asking me what he has a better chance to play right away, I'd probably say right guard. Okay. No, I am. I am. And, and, you know, I think, I think uh, as we've talked about, offensive lineman is going into their third year that should be the year where they're most ready to start playing. And unlike last year where they had guys who were in their second year that were, that were competing and they were playing and then you saw all of the issues of going and, and not being able to do the snap counts in places that, you know, in, in Utah and in Boise state, Tommy Marabella is entering that time where like as a normal sequence for an offensive lineman, he needs this is his time this is when he he's not young in that sense um christian jones same kind same thing like this is his third year um this is the time when like if san diego state is able to compete this is where they have to be good right like they're not going to be getting um at least not for a while they're not going to be getting necessarily the top top guys um right away although you know they they've had a few top top guys in the last few years and so when, where they're going to have to be good is is right where they're at. And so that said, I think our attention in spring was on the outside and was on all the things that were happening on the tackles, especially when you get a guy like, you know, Drew has a party who's in the second year and then he's having so many snaps. But I think that as time went on, uh, at least from Coach Hoke, the the question was interior. The question was in the middle and finding and finding that even, um, you know, throwing out the idea that, that Brandon Crenshaw Dixon could play guard um, because I think they were really unhappy with what was happening in the middle. And so I think it was good and encouraging to hear um, from Coach Goff that over the summer, you know, he's he's seen strides with them. Who is maybe the the player who you have in your mind that if they step up, and and live up to you know their talent or you know maybe something we're not thinking about the the offensive line could be a lot better than than the expectations are you know sitting here in july well i i wanted to actually bring up kyle stanback as, oh, okay. as a guy. yeah uh, 
he's a third transfer on this roster, but obviously he came in before spring camp and then he wasn't medically cleared. So he actually didn't participate. We saw him at practice in street clothes. Tight end. Yeah. Standing around (laughs) watching. And, you know, he, he was, he was a small, he was a skinny guy. Mm -hmm. And I think he came in at two listed at 265. The website, uh, the roster now lists him at 285, which checks out because Coach Goff told us he had gained 15, 16 pounds already since spring. Now that he's cleared, he raved about his athleticism. And at the tackle spot, that could be very valuable. Um, so I'm intrigued to see where Kyle ends up on the depth chart and what position he's playing whether it's on the left or the right side, if he's on the left side, that could potentially give some competition to Christian Jones um, at left tackle. So I'm intrigued in that regard. Uh, initially, I think if Ross Lugal and Masaoli could be the key to the offensive line, mm. depending on where he starts, if he's a center or a guard, because I think the talent level, his recruiting profile is as high as I think anybody else on the team now, you yeah. know, with Josh Simmons. His ceiling is really high, and his ability to to solidify that interior offensive line, as you just talked about, there being some concern, could be critical. And, and coaches' comments about him taking a different, you know, more focused, serious approach to himself this year after you know the tragedy in his family earlier this year, uh, I think could potentially unlock some of that um, that ceiling that we we've talked about. We, we've seen at parts at times from him. So, you know, I, I think he's, he could be the guy that truly solidifies this offensive line unit to becoming uh, where to becoming what we, we Aztec fans want the offensive line to be in terms of leading the charge for, you know, a good offense, not even a great offense, just a good offense, I think would make Aztec fans excited about this team. No, I agree. And, and I, as far as the, the, everything you said, I think it's spot on. You know, I, I think that, uh, it, it's always interesting how the Aztecs will come together as a team. Um, but I think a good offense, uh, and they have a really good shot at double digit wins and, and, you know, getting back to that level that, that, you know, that, that fringe top 25 kind of a team that, 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 you know, is kind of the expectation now. But the guy that I think is, that person who answering my own question is Joey Wright. Talk about good recruiting profiles, you know, offers from SC, Arizona, Arizona State, um, Washington State, you know, uh, and and he came to the Aztecs. And, and I think that uh, he's just at that year where it's like, well, when is it? When is it if it's not now? And I thought that Coach Goff, um, I really liked the way he answered the question of like, like where, where's he at? And he said, you know, essentially that he's he's the kind of guy who is going to benefit from not focusing on technique. That it's mm-hmm. just a matter of 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 go do what you do. And and so you know the the reason that that I mean, so much of like recruiting prowess is what these guys do in shorts, right? Because it's it's super hard to unless you're playing like top tier talent. It's it's difficult to ascertain how good you are because you're just so much bigger than everybody else that you're playing in high school, you know, especially at the offensive line. And so he can move. He, 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 he does everything that you'd want him to do in shorts. Um, and, and he's athletic, you know, sometimes you, you can, sometimes you can bottle up by trying to make 
by trying to make your feet work this particular way, you can bottle up what somebody just has naturally, you know, yeah. um, and you can make them be thinking about where my hands are. You make me think about, you know, how I'm supposed to be moving off of this person as opposed to just there's a person right there. They're going to be coming off of the other person. Just move them. And he might have the athleticism and the power just to be able to do it. And so I thought that that was an interesting kind of self-reflection for Coach Goff is I think he sees the talent that's there in Joey Wright. And he said he's going to benefit from just being results-based. Um, and then he said he he's, has the exact same switch that needs to be turned that Christian Jones has, which is, you know, he just doesn't play necessarily with with that with that anger and that force or violence or whatever word is palatable to, to these guys. And so I think if that, if that switch can get flipped um, and, you know, coach Goff said he's moving better this summer than he's ever seen a move um, since coming to, to San Diego state and can be really mean, you know, and, and can figure out how to, how to move somebody and whatever it is, it just pieces together and works. I think Joey Wright is somebody who, could plug in at guard. I think he's somebody who could plug in at tackle. And I think that they would be a lot better if, if he can do it, because again, he's older and, you know, he should be able to handle the noise and, and this, and the time is now as coach says. So that, that would be the person that, that I would, I would answer that question for. With Joey, uh, maybe the only drawback is just the numbers game five main returners that got a lot of snaps last year plus you factor in azo and cj who got first team reps at tackle in spring you kind of look at joey as like that eighth guy on the offensive line and that's not even including the three transfers that might be pushing up in that so i do agree with you about what coach goff said about him this is this is his time i just it's potentially, you know, barring injuries or anything like that, he may not get his opportunity to get on the field, uh, depending on how the guys in front of him are doing and some of the transfers. So, I don't, I don't think that those guys are in front of him. Which guys? Uh, Jones and as a party. You don't I think, think that, they're in front of him? I, I do not. Again, this is my own take on how the the one of the things I was, if you're listening for things to be encouraged about, is. If the coaching staff is saying great things about you, it's because they're trying to encourage you and they're wanting you to be better. If they're saying bad things about you, <laughs> it's because you're good. <laughs> and I think that um, depth chart and all of those kinds of things, I think typically they use that to send a message. And I think the message to Joey Wright is you're going to get passed by Drew as a party. You're going to get passed by Christian Jones. And look here, here it is. They're they're in front of you, um, with the idea of motivating him to be better. I don't think that the gap is so big that he couldn't cross it. Mm -hmm. um, but I agree with you in the sense that it, if he doesn't, he's absolutely that eighth guy. And to be that eighth guy at his age is a big deal for him. It's a big deal because it's like, it, when are you going to to turn this on? Um, but I, I don't think the gap is that big that he won't be able to do it. Um, the flip side of it is I, I, I think that it, let's say Drew as a party becomes the eighth guy, not a big deal. He's a registered freshman. That's where he should yeah. be. And, but, but for, but for Joey, Wright, That is a big deal, even with the COVID year and getting an extra year and stuff like that. And having in that development, it's, it's his fourth year. I mean, it's time. And I think that, uh, that the way they ordered things 
and the way that that they rank them on the depth chart has as much to do with saying like you're going to get passed up if you do not step it up more than I think it was like this is actually if we were going to start a game this is actually 100% where we're at if that makes any sense we've talked about last year's offensive line a lot and I thought it was pretty funny you know the only uh, I think direct reference to uh, Josh Simmons where you can say for sure he was absolutely referring to Josh Simmons was <laughs> when we were asking about the false starts and he said you know if you had trouble in Utah and you had trouble in Boise State and you thought those were crazy wait till you get to the big house wait till you get to Penn State um, yeah. and, and so I thought that was pretty funny it's underappreciated and and you know it's not it's not the point and I think the reason that's probably the reason that we haven't talked about it as the rape allegations happened inside of San Diego State, you know, the focus has been on um, the young lady and it has been on that and as it should be. And so talking about how, you know, that whole situation impacted the offensive line is kind of gross and it's just like, uh, I don't know. And, and, and so it's a little bit of a, of a, it's a challenge of it, but as, as time has moved on, I think it's okay to, to be able to speak about it. I, I, I think that two of the other people who were mentioned in the civil suit, right. And, and there's no criminal charges, but two of the people mentioned in the civil suit, Xavier Leonard and Jonathan Harrison, um, who was just mentioned, you know, added to the, to the civil suit. I think that they expected those two guys to play last year. I don't think Josh Simmons was in their plans. I think uh, Brandon Crenshaw Dixon was going to be on the, was going to be their right tackle and Xavier Leonard probably. Um, and maybe Jonathan Harrison was going to be their left tackle. Um, I remember going to practice prior to, you know, some of the stuff coming out and, and, you know, e everything e becoming sure who these people were, you know, they, they would, they would run drills and you would, they would do it by who their best players were. And Xavier Leonard was always their fourth or fifth person running through the drills. And, and then it, you know, the, it came out and he went from that to second team. And, and then obviously everything that transpired from there. And, and so I think that, it's just an interesting part of it. Like it wasn't NIL that made them have the depth and hopefully nothing like that ever happens again. It's ugly. It's horrible. Um, but it also gave them a look at, at like what that looks like to, to lose a bunch of people really quickly. And then how do you, how do you adjust to it? What does that look like? What does that need to be? And, you know, I think that, you know, with, with somebody like Josh Simmons, I think, you know, if you focused on the technique and you didn't just kind of let him go out there and play, I, I, and and play fast. You saw some of the, you know, if you're thinking about where your feet are supposed to be and how you're supposed to get off the ball, you might not be thinking about the snap count. And and so I think that that they they were able to to kind of get that working kind of model of what of what that looks like going forward of of trying to prepare young players because it just wasn't what they had previously done. And so I, th I think that just it's just it's just I think part of that story, you know, it's tragic and all that for 100 percent. It's like, oh, my God, like I, I just watched the um, this week. I finally was able to pull myself to to watch the HBO special on um, Matariza and the story that, that that was all about. And, you know, just like Brian Gumble was, it was just like you're, you're sitting there just like what's where, where's proven till you know where's innocent until proven guilty and 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 you know and all of those things that were just part of it so you know it's it's fresh on my mind i guess from that and um i think that as it pertains to the offensive line as it pertains to the team i think josh simmons being thrust into that role 
and you know, and and, and he, he was able to get money from Ohio State to be able to do it as a result of it. It also served as 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 kind of a a model for how they're going to handle um, getting young guys ready going forward. Yeah, I mean, imagine this offensive line unit with Josh Simmons heading into twenty twenty three. Like the ceiling, the the expectations I think of this group would be so much better, so much higher if you had a Josh Simmons still here and his his talent level. And we know his talent level because. You know, he transferred and he's going to Oklahoma for a visit. He's going to Ohio State for a visit. He's going to, I think he went to Florida maybe too. Like that's, other teams know, by saying how he was the most talented offensive lineman isn't a hyperbolic because look at who he ended up with. You know, it is what it is. He's obviously not here. And then the group moves on without him and can still be productive and can still be good. But, you know, it's always going to be a what if is, you know, he's a local kid committed to San Diego State, took his lumps, but was that there was that path forward to seeing him become this true great offensive lineman with potentially an NFL future. And, you know, it's always going to be a what if, I think, for, for San Diegans and Aztec fans. But, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on him and see how he's doing at Ohio State. I think we wish him well, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, he's going to go into some really loud environments, as Coach Goff said. And to his credit, hopefully he's learned from that and, and uh has has solved that problem and and moved on so we'll yeah see. no i agree and and um <laughs> you know coach golf obviously played at iowa so he knows a little yeah. bit about about the big 10 um but i also thought another interesting idea about the fall starts was some of the differences of you know huddling and how that helps you a whole bunch yeah now and and how and that and i hadn't i hadn't necessarily put that together even though it's when he said it, it was like oh yeah that makes a whole bunch of sense and then the other part that I thought was interesting is even after they huddled, because it, everything was so new, they didn't use the snap count to have an advantage for the offensive line. And and so like teams were able to kind of tee off a little bit better because they knew that they couldn't vary their cadence very much because you have a new quarterback, because you have a new system, because you're huddling now, because you're doing all those things. And so I think that's another really, you know, a, kind of one of those subtle things that people are going to point to you and they're like, Oh man, the offensive line, they're so much better. And they're going to say, Oh, they matured. Or they're going to say, Oh, they learned their lessons from last year. All those things will be true. The other part is, is that there are certain ways to be able to help yourself in those areas. And one of them is, is alternating the snap count. And one of them is, is going at different times, um, making sure that the defensive line can't get that great jump. And they weren't able to do that last year. And, and I'm, I'm really interested to see, you know, how much that plays a factor. I'm also interested to see uh, how much the center is going to be required to call, you know, the blocking formations and all that kind of stuff, because that's not typically who does that in college. And, um, and, but, but it was necessitated last year, obviously you had Alma who, who was a veteran who wanted to do that, but you had new quarterbacks coming in who were less interested in that. And then, you know, when Jalen Maiden came over, you didn't want to give him too much. And so, like, what what role? And it'd be a great thing to ask Coach Lindley if we get the opportunity. Will Jalen have in being able to to set up the blocking? Uh, how much of that with the center and the newness of the center would you want to put onto that person when it's like, no, let's snap the ball and let's block. Like that's it. We don't need to add anything else to it. So 
lots and lots that that's still to, to be determined. And because of week zero, man, we're only a couple weeks away from the start of fall camp. Pretty crazy. Yeah, Media Day, Mountain West Media Day is in Vegas at Circus Sports Casino and Resort. I don't know if it's, is it a casino? Circus Sports. Uh, I haven't been there yet, but I've heard uh, it's an amazing spot. And then, you know, fall practice will start that following um, week, you know, last week of July. We're waiting on the program to send out a, a, a practice schedule and hopefully Paul and I We'll be able to make it out to a few and, and Don, obviously, our amazing photographer to snap some pics of the, of the players. So it's coming seven weeks, less than seven weeks to the first game. So it, it is going to be here in no time. And, and I think everybody's going to be excited about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh might have to do a quick one this week if there's any conference realignment news. But uh, it was awesome to not talk about that. And to like just actually focus on like what's happening on the field, man. So, um, yeah, really, really enjoy talking with Coach Goff. And you know, Coach, if uh, you happen to be listening to this, thank you again for for taking some time out of your vacation because you don't get very much. So we appreciate you taking forty five minutes to talk to us. Absolutely, that's gonna do it for us, guys. Thank you as always for listening. We appreciate all the likes, follows, subscribes, shares, and uh, stay tuned for more. Uh, Hopefully interviews with some coaches and players coming up uh, as we get into the fall season. We'll talk to you guys next time. You are listening to the SDSU podcast presented by the East Village Times with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.